Welcome to the Convivium COVID-19 Podcasts. Visit us at www.convivium-brecken.com. Series 1. Paradoxes in an Ancient Landscape. What a Welsh Mountain Taught Me About God and the World. By Mark Clavier. Episode 4. Eternity. I sat beside my tent, admiring the way the wind tickled the surface of Llyn Cae in the fading autumn sunlight. On three sides of the small mountain lake, rock and turf climbed sharply upwards towards the heights of Penegadair. Behind me, the valley Cwm Cae dropped away towards the east and south, its centre traced by a rocky stream, and its southern edge by the Minforth path up which I'd earlier walked. Sheep grazed on its dense, tall grass or stood like sentinels on seemingly unreachable high rocks. I found a ridge of firm turf at the lake's edge and pitched my tent near a scattering of massive pale rocks deeply pocked by centuries of wind and rain and coated with a thin veneer of pale lichen. Kumkai is the bottom of a massive cup or seat carved away by glaciers millennia ago when Wales and Canada were close neighbours. It gives Kader Idris its name, Idris's Chair. After pitching my tent, I found a dry, comfortable spot on a rock to enjoy my surroundings. I could hear nothing except the building wind, the occasional frantic flap of rooks swooping from the summit of Kader Idris, and the regular bleating of sheep. Except for my tent, nothing in reach of my eyes or ears would have been out of place a hundred or a thousand years ago. Sitting alone, I could easily imagine that time has no meaning in the craggy amphitheatre of Kum Kai. My view and the sounds that echoed around me were now as they surely must have been ever since sheep were first introduced in the long-forgotten past. What do rocks, the wind, sheep, or birds know of our time? Eternity has no time. It is itself all time, Tertullian had written in the third century. Here, I could see he was right. Moments like this are one of the reasons why I walk. They're when I'm transported out of myself and as far as possible into the eternal now. Moments like this are when I realize how elastic time is and how obsessed with minutes and seconds our frenetic lifestyles force us to be. Without such experiences, I don't know how one can speak meaningfully of a God who's eternal or have any sense of what heaven might be like. We need to be transported out of ourselves to begin to understand who we are and God is. Otherwise, we're like caged birds trying to imagine what it's like to fly. Moreover, Kumkai isn't just any place. Even now, I can see with my mind's eye the shape of the lake, the features of the rocks scattered around it, and the way the light plays on the high cliffs. I can picture the sheep perched precariously up and down the steep slopes, and know that even now, in the cold driving rain on the day I'm writing this sentence, they're still there. I can see the birds playing in the air currents, and the pools of water blackened by the peaty earth among the tall moor grass. All these and many more things imbue Kumkai with personality. It feels a particular way, as distinct as any human personality. 
Anyone who has taken to trekking in the wilderness knows that each place has its own character, its own irreducible personality. So long as natural landscapes are left alone, their personality is as changeless as the earth. We simply can't comprehend the deep geological and climactic periods to which they're subject. From our vantage, natural landscapes seem to remain the same generation after generation after generations. Seasons pass along them like moods, making them seem changed for a spell without actually altering their underlying character. Of course, this timelessness is illusory. Geologists are fond of reminding people that environments are in constant flux. Once upon a time, or so I'm told, Kader Idris lay alongside Canada. But I can't see things from that perspective. I can't even really imagine it. The calendar to which Kader Idris and all wildernesses are subject is too sprawling for my short-sighted perspective. That's part of their beauty. Because such places are immeasurably ancient, they dispose me towards the eternal. They elongate my sense of time, pressing my own understanding of past, present, future to breaking point. They're vastly more ancient than any concept I have of being old, will be around far beyond any hopes and fears I have about the future, and have been and will be present throughout human history to anyone who finds them. Men and women a thousand years from now will come to Kumkai to admire the same landscape as I. Perhaps they'll even pitch a tent and enjoy a beer sitting on the same rock that served as my seat. The passage of human time is nothing more than the present to Kader Idris. What's a few thousand years in comparison to 500 million? As Elizabeth in Pride and Prejudice declares, what are men to rocks and mountains? To Cadder, the 30,000 years separating the first humans in Wales from me are as an instant. This combination of timelessness and personality appear contradictory. Human personalities are full of change, adapting to the people and circumstances that affect them. As Plato recognized long ago, to exist in this world is to be in constant motion, never staying still for a moment. Thoughts flow from one another, the positions of our bodies shift, our hearts expand and contract, emotions ebb and flow, and on and on. To live is to change, wrote John Henry Newman, and to be perfect is to have changed often. For this reason, some theologians argue that portraying God as timeless makes him distant and impersonal. How can an unchanging, timeless deity respond to our prayers, which are so very often focused sharply on others or ourselves in the anguish of present suffering? Scripture, of course, is full of examples of God responding immediately to human activity, speaking with people like Moses, responding to prayers, and even getting angry or being pleased. On the other hand, James says in his apostle that in God there's no variation or shadow due to change. And Paul assures us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In the words of the great hymn, we blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but not changeth thee. But if God is unchanging, then doesn't this imply that he's distant and ultimately uncaring? 
How can anything be personal if it doesn't react and respond? The great German theologian Jürgen Moltmann states the obvious answer. A God who is incapable of suffering is a being who cannot be involved. Suffering and injustice do not affect him, and because he is so completely insensitive, he cannot be affected or shaken by anything. He cannot weep, for he has no tears, but the one who cannot suffer cannot love either. So he is also a loveless being. But what I discovered perched on my rock in Kumkai is that timelessness can be intensely personal. Nothing about the landscape seemed distant. Indeed, its very timelessness and dependable changelessness are part of Kumkai's strong attraction. Spend time in the wilderness and you'll observe that there need be no contradiction between timelessness and personality. The discovery that a changeless landscape becomes intensely personal when it plays on our affections teaches our imaginations to see how a timeless God can also be personal. I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I have the good fortune to return to Kumkai 20 years from now, I'll encounter an old friend unchanged. I may even feel young in that reunion. Someone might respond, I know, that this is hardly a rational argument and doesn't even begin to answer the theological inconsistencies and ethical problems that the immutability of God raises. Their response might be summed up by one obvious question. Did Kumkai love me back? And my reply would have to be no. I may have delighted in the lake, the heights, the sheep, and the diving rooks, but none of them took much notice of me. They certainly didn't delight in me. And so rationally, I should admit that a personal God can't be immutable or retreat into deism by accepting that while I may love God, he's not much bothered with me. Actually, I think there's a third response. I can choose to embrace paradox. A virgin gives birth. God becomes man. The earthly is utterly united with the divine. The eternal enters the temporal. The Almighty God is a babe in Bethlehem, and the changeless responds to his ever-changing creation. Each of these points is rationally absurd. If we accept the idea that the eternal and infinite can enter a fixed moment in our time and become a historical fact, that is, that God became man, then there's almost no absurdity we can't swallow. The lessons Kumkai taught me about the timelessness of God weren't rational ones. The landscape engaged my affections, my imagination, and drew out of me a deep yearning. But none of these explained the changelessness and timelessness of God. I didn't gain any information from the experience. What Kumkai did offer was a taste of something like eternity. But it offered that taste to the palate of my imagination, rather than the observation of my reason. The magnificent scenery of Kumkai may not have responded to my affection in a personal way. Nevertheless, it disposed me towards imagining something or someone who can. Experience expanded my imagination. Had I never encountered the comfortable companionship of an unchanging landscape, then the idea of a timeless deity would have felt different. I suppose I might have associated both changelessness and timelessness with something like a waiting room in a sterile clinic with canned music, unvaried decor, 
and with what seems like the same people always waiting alongside me. Because of my wilderness experiences, however, I associate the idea of timelessness with something natural rather than artificial, cozy, personal, and with something that feels akin to home. Is not the mysterious combination of the unchanging and the deeply personal an element of what we call home? My treks into changeless wildernesses like Kum Kai are like inhabited parables, natural illustrations of what has been revealed. Those treks have demonstrated to me that there is no contradiction between timelessness and the personal, that even within creation my deepest affections can be engaged by that which seems unchanging. Having accepted that teaching, I can now see signs of divine immutability wherever I go. God is timeless. God is personal. How do I know? Because he created places like Kum Kai that are also timeless and personal. And having encountered him in such places, I can't soon forget him. That's the nature of God, as Jacob discovered in his own wilderness. Moreover, thanks to places like Kum Kai, I'm convinced that should I reach heaven, I'll find it deeply familiar as though it had been lurking all along amidst and behind the beautiful places I've visited. How else will I know it as home? This has been a production of Convivium, an initiative of Brecon Cathedral to encourage people to live well with God, creation, their local heritage, and each other. For more information about Convivium, visit us at www.convivium-brecken.com.